The wheel of time turns and ages come and pass, leaving memories that become legend. Legend fades to myth and even myth is long forgotten when the age that gave it birth comes again. Welcome to Through the Glass Columns, a Wheel of Time read-along podcast. Each week, we will be reading, discussing, and digesting a small selection from Robert Jordan's fantasy opus. This quest is led by Tyler, a true Wheel of Time warrior. I have all stories, ages that were and that will be. And I'll be joined by Greg, a complete novice to the Wheel of Time. The Wheel of Time and the Wheel of a Man's Life turn alike without pity or mercy. Join us each week as we read the Wheel of Time in our own sweet time, traveling deeper and deeper through the glass columns. But what does that even mean? No, 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 no. no. You don't get to find out yet. (laughs) Well, look at you coming back here again to this feed, just thinking you're all that, like you're some kind of dragon reborn. Uh, hi, everybody. Welcome back uh, to Through the Glass Columns, your weekly Wheel of Time read-along podcast. That's the order those words usually go in. Uh, I uh, am already tripping over my words, which is a bad sign. But I, of course, am Greg, your co-host who knows nothing about the Wheel of Time books. And I am joined tonight by Tyler, who knows so much about Wheel of Time books, he can summarize the entire series with one word, and that word is... Dragons. And we are here tonight. That's what we do. Nope, 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 nope. One word, one word. That's all I gave you. That's what you get for making me do the intro. Uh, <laughs> so we are here, of course, to continue our journey through the Shadow Rising. Uh, and tonight we will be discussing Chapter 9, uh, Decisions, and Chapter 10, The Stone Stands. Tyler, I will allow you more words this time. How are you feeling about our path through Shadow Rising? And are we yet at the part that you call the part that you're excited for? This was, to me, the point where I wasn't quite sure whether this is what I am excited for or not. I don't know if that is a satisfactory answer, but as I was kind of mapping out the first maybe like half of this book, figuring out when we were going to be doing things and making sure that our calendars worked, um, I found myself thinking this is the week when things pick up. But I'm not sure that the pickup in action is exactly what I needed to make me go, this is the book I'm excited about. Like, it's great Mm. that we are starting this so much earlier in book four than we had in any of the previous books in any kind of meaningful way. But I also feel kind of like, that's great. I'm excited. That's part of why I like this book. But I don't think we've yet hit the reason why I love this book. At this point, it's just a little faster than the others, but still largely playing the same game. Uh, That sounds about right. As somebody who knows nothing about these books, that sounds about right to what my experience of it has been is, is it's certainly an action packed week. We will see if that means we're talking a lot or not so much. Um, But uh, I am still not sure. I'm totally enthused about where we're headed. So I'm kind of interested to see, Uh, To pull out one of our cliches, I see the top of the hill, but I don't know that the roller coaster has started down the top from the top of the hill yet. Yeah, and that's the interesting thing about this book is so far it is really 
I think up until this point, it has very much followed the structure we expected, but kind of in fast forward mode, right? We got the few chapters of kind of check in on what happened from the previous book, mostly recap. Um, and then, you know, with a little bit of action thrown in there in the form of fighting playing cards and what have you. And then we kind of had that like three or four week lull that I think we've had before. But in the past, what we then did is kind of went into a slow middle where we had maybe 10, 15 chapters in a row that felt very exposition-y, very move the pieces around. And then we kind of got like the mid book excitement that made us feel like, okay, it's a roller coaster now. It's not just like a story on wheels. And so then we can kind of feel like, okay, the momentum's slowing down. We're going up the hill. When do we hit that final climax? What's weird here is we're talking, I think you're exactly right to feel like the momentum is swelling. It feels like we are approaching some sort of big moment. But it's chapter 10 of a thousand page book. And so what do you kind of feel about the structure now? I feel like this is the week that we blew up the kind of traditional wheel of time build towards something in the middle of the book, reveal a mystery and kind of wait it out. Is this what you wanted is more of this type of pedal to the floor? Or is it like kind of disrupting what you expected enough that it's it's not pleasant? Um. Good question. I would say I, I mean, if I'm being completely honest, I did not have these kind of big thoughts at this particular moment. Okay. And I say that not to dodge your question, but yeah. to say that I think my, my emotions in this moment are kind of so locked into these characters and the inner relationships mm. that as I could tell the action was picking up and, and like you're saying, it, it is kind of a sign that we're off and running pedal to the floor. Um, I was more almost wistful, like, wait, is that, is that it? Cause it, it also feels like this is the, you know, a kind of breaking of the fellowship moment where we're going to get this action set piece. And then that is the thing that makes everybody be like, okay, and now we really need to go or now we need to to move on to those next pieces. So I think that's more where my emotional reaction was, was like, yeah. oh, is, is that it for seeing these pairing uh, offs? Um, because I think they've been enjoyable. And we, we talked about this uh, last week, which was very long ago and definitely not just like two days ago, yeah. um, where, you know, we... I, I think I've used this analogy before, but I always remember hearing the, the writer's room on the office would take those cards down and be like, we haven't put Stanley with Oscar. Let's see what yep. happens. And Parks and Rec did that too in the same writer's room. It's like, oh, we haven't seen Donna with Jean Ralphio in a long time. Let's see what happens there. Yep. And so uh, now I just want that show. Dang, that sounds like a good show. Yeah, I would watch that spin off <laughs> all day, every day. <laughs> Uh, so I felt like we were getting a lot of fruitful interactions where it's like, let's pull down Egwene and Matt and see what happens yeah. when we put those together. Let's um, tug at Elaine and Rand and see how we can bounce them off each other. And so I think I'm disappointed that from my vantage point, it looks like we're going to kind of sift into familiar subgroups and just go have adventures. Um, but maybe that's wrong. Maybe we I will see that mixing continue. I have one final question about your expectations, and then we can move on to my summary. In previous books, we have had kind of the same prediction, right? It feels like this is the moment where everyone is going to split up, something exciting happens, and then they all go their separate ways. In every previous book, other than the first when you didn't know the pattern yet, I feel like the immediate response has been, and then at the end, they'll come back together and we'll have that big, exciting final moment. 
I'm mm. curious, are you feeling like we are going to get that again? Or do you feel like this is the book that breaks that pattern? I think it's going to break that pattern. Okay. Um, some of these interactions, and I will say Elaine and Rand, perhaps most of all, it feels like they are going to be apart for a long time, right? Mm. We talked last week um about that kind of end of summer camp feel or the i think we said senior year and the the relationship it's like no we're gonna stay together babe it's gonna work even though we're going to college in different cities yeah and it kind of feels like robert jordan leaned into that a little bit um in my opinion this wild yeah. speculation because they're going to be apart for a long time and um you know one thing I'm kind of curious about is uh, Nynaeve and Lan have been in the same place and yeah. they weren't given that same kind of attention or focus. And that doesn't mean it didn't happen or something didn't happen. But, um, you know, it's it's curious that like if if I'm sticking to my guns that they're really all splitting up for a long time, yeah. I'm going to eventually have to mourn the pairings off we didn't see here. And yeah. Um, you know, even some characters who are are sitting out. We have a lovely Ogier who has not really been heard from this uh, yeah. this book. So I I want to know what's up with Loyal. Um, and you know, Perrin and Min seem so solidified, which is great, but that kind of takes Perrin out of mixing with the others as much. Which I think is a shame Perrin if they are all going. Oh, sorry. Yes, Perrin and Fail. Um, so, uh, it's a shame if we see Perrin go off on his own for a long time and, and that Perrin and that pairing yeah. and don't get to see him interact with the, the rest of two rivers a lot. Uh, Perrin's pairing, uh, just a terrible thing I did there. So sorry, listeners. So I sorry. mean, <laughs> I, I'm the one who made us say a wheel of time read along podcast once a week. So I think <laughs> we're good on, on odd tongue twisters. So I think that's a really good overview of where we're at roughly, almost a fifth of the way through the book about a fifth of, it's it's a long book um let's dive into chapter nine decisions so we actually start in a section that doesn't have a pov it is more or less a narrator i thought that was true yeah it's really <laughs> I'm sorry I'm, I'm like this is weird yeah sorry go on yeah. So three days pass, the heat is oppressive, only the Outlanders are moving at full speed. We learn that Matt um, has been down into the um, great holding, that he's been avoiding the lords, and the lords have been avoiding him. He's been trying to make some money dicing, but he's even having trouble with that. Um, Perrin has been traveling to the same kind of inns and taverns, looking for a story that can uh, pull Fail away and get her to safety. Um, he knows that there must be something, but all of the tales he's hearing are rumors that are based on real events, and Fail will know them for them. Um, we then get uh, a update on Egwene and Nynaeve, who have been uh, continuing to interrogate and try to figure out what they are going to do based on the information that the Black Aja is given them. And we're also learning that Avienda is becoming much more close to that group, in particular Egwene. Um, while this is happening, Elaine is finding time to be alone with Ran, both um, giving him advice, he's asking questions, and she can tell she's falling in love with him even more because he's actually paying attention and following her advice. 
We then go into Rand's POV in actuality. He is debating policy with the High Lords, uh, who are insisting on sending soldiers along with the grain to Ilion, um, and that Torian continue to be involved in the process, despite the fact that he only wants to be involved so that he can hit on Verilay. And Rand is basically like, no, absolutely not, and then he threatens to hang them if they do not follow through. Um, he looks at Kalendor, thinking that he is angry, but not yet succumbing to the madness, and then he kind of thinks about the changes in himself and how he never would have um, even considered hanging someone in the past. Um, suddenly, Selene is there, um, and then she uh, basically says she goes where she wishes, she doesn't give any explanation of how she arrives, and she reveals herself to be Lanfear in a big reveal to Rand that we had figured out, you know, two whole books ago. Um, Rand uh, is basically um, first off, he is really put off that Lanfear is referring to him as Luz Theron. Um, she reveals her true form to him, and she also kind of creates a barrier with the power that separates him from Kalendor, which causes him to kind of go into panic mode more than he previously had been. Um, at this point, she says the time for games has passed. She says she is not going to kill him, but instead she wants him to join her. She says that she can find a teacher for him, teach him to be uh, better at channeling, and then if he gives himself to the Dark Lord, he can actually become higher than the other um, uh, the other Forsaken. She basically says the Dark Lord is willing to put you above them and that's why the other Forsaken fear you. Um, she also mentions that there are two Sangriel that are greater than Kalendor. Um, she says that they could rule the world together with them. Um, she also um, warns him and says that she could take him to the Dark Lord against his will if she wanted to. Um, at this point, she observes uh, basically that he is going to deny her um, and he is able to kind of wrap her up in uh, some of the one power, but then a gray man enters, and she releases him, he releases her, they kill the gray man. Uh, he basically says, what did you do? Why is this happening? She says, I didn't send the Trolloc, or I'm not the Trolloc, the gray man, and then Rand opens the door, and there is chaos outside. Lots happened in that chapter, which traditionally means we are going to have about four things to say about it. What stood out to you in this chapter that I felt like was a lot of revelations that had been so heavily foreshadowed, they didn't entirely feel like revelations in a lot of cases? We found all four clues. Oh, I actually left you 96. Uh, yeah, um, I I will definitely say, obviously, I, I focused on um, the, the land fear moment. And I definitely um, didn't kind of read it as a revelation. So when you you just yeah. now were like, it's a revelation to Rand. I'm like, oh, I didn't even realize he didn't know yet yeah. that it had, had seemed that obvious and and that um, much a part of of how we were already interpreting things that I'd kind of forgotten that that he didn't necessarily know that. And so um, I kind of read that moment a little more. It it's not quite what what gets called in nerd circles like a retcon, yeah. but it almost felt that way. It it more read like, oh well, here are all the ways in which um I have powers that you didn't understand, and and I'm I'm certainly not accusing those of not being present before, but it's just like so fully kind of undoing the Celine plot it was almost yeah. to me it felt like it was like i actually didn't have anything to do with celine so let's talk about land fear instead and just like make this character into this person and um you know I, I, again not seeing any contradiction there 
But yeah. really just like, you know, what matters here is that she needs to be established as very powerful and with her own agendas and what those agendas are. It just felt like such a rewriting of who this character was, even though I think your kind of explanation that this is only a rewriting if you were totally fooled like Ran, right? Like yeah. it's it's really is just revealing what we've all known to be true instead of undoing anything. Right. And I think that what this is, is it adds a lot of layers that you can now go back and look at on a second read, right? All of the Celine scenes work significantly better if you know what her agenda is and how she is trying to convince Rand to yada, 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 right? And so I think that this is one of those moments that this is a frustration I sometimes have with the Wheel of Time. I think that sometimes the best things that it does are things that make you go, oh my God, now I need to go back and read all the other stuff. And that's really awesome and I love it and it's dense and it, it's part of why this series kind of resonates even though I've read it so many times. But at the same time, for a first time reader, I'm kind of like, yeah, that's a cool reveal, but that's all it is unless you kind of think then about all of the implications of it in the past two books. But I think you're kind of right. It, it It's a little bit of a fizzle unless you haven't figured it out. I just want to reveal to the listeners that off mic, you said, Greg, I love you because you're dense. So same, same kind of love uh, as the book. Um, yeah. And it's, it's an interesting question then, like, who are you writing for when yeah. you do that? Are you writing for the, you know, it's so I teach writing as, as we've talked about before and, the kind of key to understanding the modern teaching of writing is thinking about um, what is called in our field, the rhetorical situation, that no yeah. piece of writing can be evaluated without thinking fully of the context in which it, it is written. And so when we unpack this, it's like, well, who is the audience? If the audience needs to be the those that are rereading and saying, oh, how clever you are, yeah. um, I think that shrinks down the audience you're aiming for, right? Mm -hmm. um, but maybe it is just still enjoyable to pass through it kind of superficially. And, you know, I think of something like the the very first Harry Potter book where it's like, I, I when I read that, I got to the end and I had been so thoroughly fooled by, I guess I'll be vague, but the revelation at the end of that book, yeah. it was like, I really need to read this again and see that. And I haven't yet experienced a revelation as strong in these Wheel of Time books, right? That I haven't, yeah. you know, oh, okay, it's it's Lanfear. And oh, that would change those scenes. But nothing is driving me that I think they'll be so different that I really need to go back and, yeah, totally. and put it. Um, and I would absolutely connect that back to the idea of um, like the, the vows that the I said, I won't lie. And so yeah. it's like, yes, when that happened, I bet you can go back and now appreciate the artistry of those conversations a little bit more, but like, do you, I really feel like that's enough to justify yeah. another trip through those 3000 pages. I'm not so sure. No. And I think that that's exactly right. But we've talked before a few times about how the world feels lived in. And I think what that means mm. is that there are things like this that are dangling that never get, put in front of you, right? I think the reason that mm. the Celine plot works is because there's this much depth to it. And then the reason that we're frustrated here is because he's revealing the magic trick instead of just letting it be a magic trick, right? I think it's it's the clumsy mm. need for Rand to on screen find out that Celine is Lanfear that's causing the issue more than it actually is the the revelation itself. Does does that maybe make sense? 
It does. And, you know, you said on screen and that just makes me think cinematically about that. This is a choice so many directors make. I was just listening recently to an interview with Jordan Peele and he was talking about Get Out. And, you know, that's another one of those movies that when you understand the kind of trick of that movie, it changes almost every dang scene. And, um, you know, the ways in which a director can put in that montage where they're like, look how clever I was, look how clever, or otherwise they can just show you like, here's the truth of the situation and you can go back and fill it in. And my personal view on Jordan Peele is I think he didn't, right? He gave you a few, but then that's another one where you rewatch that movie and you're like, oh, look how clever he is. Look at how that line has an extra meaning. And so, um, I mean, I guess really what this is saying is I I think Robert Jordan is falling a little bit victim to I want to have my cake and eat it, too. I want to mm. be well, you got to steal your language. I want to do the magic trick and let you know that I'm very clever when doing it. And I think my yeah. personal taste is often more towards let's just appreciate the magic trick. But yeah. um, but it's it's still compelling. I mean, even as yeah. just a kind of here's land fear. And this is now a very powerful new piece on the game board. That's compelling information and certainly makes the chapter exciting. Um, you know, I, we've already abused the like Joker comparison before, but land fear certainly feels the way she's presenting herself here. Like she is a bit more of a wild car. Whereas as the other forsaken often feel like they are all competing with each other, but are all slightly predictable in how they are working for the dark one. Whereas the way she presents herself here, it's like, I'm not positive that's her end game, even if that's kind of what she says it is. Right. Well, and I think that's the interesting thing about this scene is it begins with her revealing an intricate plot that the reader has probably figured out. But what that then means is everything else she says, you constantly need to be thinking, is this the truth or is it a part of another game? And then kind of buried in that is that she seems to have the rhetorical style of just like, here is every bit of information that you could possibly need to know. And it all sounds really, really true. And so when someone does that, my immediate thought is you can bury one lie in like a deluge of facts. And Mm. I just don't know which one it is in this case. And that I I think is a really interesting game that Robert Jordan is playing is kind of revealing, look how deep her games go and now try to figure out what the game is. Yes. uh, You, your star Wars was showing there, right? Because one of the genius things about um, the Sith is that the Sith and star Wars, which would be the dark side users. Sorry. I went for the more nerdy term. uh, They always tell the truth, right? In almost every scene, Palpatine is telling the truth, maybe omitting things. um, But uh, whereas the Jedi are the ones keeping secrets, I guess we're particularly talking about the prequels in this case. Yeah. Um, But I do think that that is where I came down on land fear as well. That land fear felt like she was telling the truth. And I agree with what you're saying. You know, that, that was always the way to win two truths and a lie is just kind of bury it somewhere with, or change one tiny detail in the long, uh, truthful story you're telling. Um, and, and I think that is probably a little too easy to miss in this regard. Absolutely. Um, I just had a couple of small moments in the Lanfear conversation that I wanted to pull out and see both if they kind of pinged for you as much as they did for me and also, you know, your take on on these moments. Um, number one, there is a moment where uh, Lanfear says um, 
she is telling Rand of her plan that he can join her. He basically says, like, you can join me or I can kill you. Um, and then he says something like, no, I'll never join you. And she replies, you loved me once. And Rand, out of nowhere, without knowing where it comes from, says, you loved power. And Lanfear responds as if that is like a true and hurtful statement. What do you make of Rand seemingly pulling information about Lanfear out of thin air that he probably shouldn't have known about her previous relationship with Luz Theron? The gap between Luz Theron and Rand is shrinking, and maybe that's become a porous boundary and things can slip through. Um, very much in the spirit of some of Matt's comments yeah. right where he'll say something and and the old blood or or whatever it is controlling matt comes through um so i i definitely read that in that exact same way it's like oh this yep. this is something he shouldn't have in his head um you know and and i want to separate that from last um episode we were talking about rand kind of arguing with himself this yeah. does not feel like madness, um, right. probably mostly because it's truth, right? And so being able to kind of start to see that Rand is piecing together his old life and comparing it to the moment, that's exciting. That's who I want. I, I want Rand to become lose or, you know, the two to merge. I, I don't know who exactly we'll call them, yeah. but it, it's starting to feel like we need to stop having Rand playing catch up. Yeah. Um. So that would be the way to do it, in my yeah. opinion. That was actually the second thing that I wanted to pull out is that Lanfear's plan is not join me, we will conquer the world immediately. It is join me, I can have. And later on in the conversation, she specifies as Modian, another one of the Forsaken, can be your teacher and train you in how to use the one power. And I thought that was really interesting in light of exactly what you're describing, right? Rand doesn't know what he's doing. He is behind. And so that offer of you can catch up has to be especially appealing given where he's at yes uh listeners please know that zoom for some reason paused and then played that comment from tyler double speed <laughs> so i heard it as tyler the chipmunk uh which made it all the more enjoyable but um yeah i mean the the word i put in my uh notes is that she's really interested in collecting him not controlling yeah. him but like He's a, a trinket. He's a, a, you know, a jewel in a crown of her kind of advancing her own interests. And that to me was really uh, curious. Right. Yeah. Um, and I'm not sure I understand entirely how that those pieces will come together. But the idea that she wants to collect him and if, if she's going if she's going to possess him in some way, not like exorcist possession, but yeah. possess him then she will find a way to empower him and make him the greatest jewel in her crown. Yeah. But it seems like that second clause is very dependent on the first clause. As soon as she really feels like yeah. he is hers is when she'll help with that. I also, I mean, we're not going to do any more angel talk, but Asmodian was a very interesting name of a yeah. forsaken and a, a new one. Um, I don't have any real connections to that, but you know, um, there is a game company called Asmodi, which is what came to mind mm. immediately. But um, you know, I'm sure we'll learn where that comes from someday. 
Yes, we will. Whenever I think to pull out the book that will tell me where that name comes from, <laughs> it's not today. Um, I had two other kind of very small moments that also um, kind of line up with what you were just describing about kind of Lanfear and how she's being presented as so kind of dangerous, but also kind of a wild card is the term that you used earlier. Um, one is that it becomes clear both in this chapter and the next just how powerful Kalendor is. And yet uh, Lanfear is already alluding to two Sangriel that are more powerful. And she alludes to basically with those, they could more or less challenge the Dark One rather than join his side. Um, the other kind of quick note that I had here um, is that there is a moment where uh, Lanfear says she doesn't use gray men and Rand thinks he would have the ability to kill her immediately but since she isn't responsible for trying to kill him at this moment he won't and I thought that that kind of contrast of her identifying the thing that could kind of tip the power balance at the same time that Rand is like no I don't do that kind of calculation I thought was really telling what was your thought on either of those moments um I was thinking a lot about Rand's choices um, and kind of putting in the context of he's been reading his own prophecies, right? And kind yeah. of trying to piece together who he's going to be. And I I think it's unclear to me what Rand's quote-unquote end game is because it's unclear to Rand, right? He yeah. hasn't yet decided what he's going to do. And it's kind of a curious thing because um, most of the time it feels like in literature and mythology, when somebody becomes the chosen one and they recognize themselves then their path is clear from there forward. Right. Yeah. Um, I actually of all the silly things I'm thinking about matrix, uh, the matrix and Neo on the phone mm -hmm. at the end. Right. Yeah. Once he becomes the one, he picks up the phone and tells me, tells, tells me cause I'm agent Smith, uh, tells agent Smith, like I'm going to, you know, now I'm going to tell you how this is going to end. And that is kind of his driven path. Yeah. Sloppy sequels aside. Um, so I, I feel like it's unusual to have somebody assume, and still be unsure usually the assumption yeah. of the the title or the mantle is is the moment of decision so um the you know whenever there's an offer of greater power that mm -hmm. always is sus to me um god i'm just embarrassed for myself pause oh, for someone edit. teaches gen z <laughs> uh and totally cringe i know uh so uh i am i'm clear that I don't want him to pick that path. And it seemed pretty clear that Rand doesn't want to pick that path, but who knows if that will become more of a temptation moving forward. Absolutely. Um, I have no other big picture land fear this chapter kind of major plots. I did, however, just want to really quickly point out there is something really fun slash cute about the fact that Elaine enlisted all of the Maidens of the Spear, one of the warrior casts of the Aiel, to make sure that her and Rand would have alone time in the hallways. And that's just a lovely little <laughs> detail. Did you have any other like just small moments or things that stood out to you before we move on to Chapter 10? Uh, I mean... I, I interrupted your beautiful summary because I did think that opening was very bizarre and it it, yeah. it did feel montage -y, right? Like, let's just flash around and see what everybody's mm -hmm. been up to. But the only other thing I wanted to note um, the that we haven't mentioned here is that the discussion between Lanfear and um, Rand had a lot of map talk in it as well. Yeah. Different cities and different forces and things going on. I think it just reinforces again that 
the whole continent is in chaos, that mm. nowhere is is untouched by this. And, um, you know, as everything is spinning up, it's it's got a wobble to it and the whole continent is becoming unstable. I don't really have any deep insights on that, but I, I yeah. found myself flipping back to the front of the book and was like, okay, there and there and there. And um, all interesting and good stuff. So excited yeah. to see these characters start to move through that landscape, really. Yeah, I am so excited for all of you to see just how ginormous this world is. It's it's coming, <laughs> and I'll stop making up words as we go along. Chapter 10, The Stone Stands. Uh, Rand emerges and sees six dead Aiel, as well as three men who are too ordinary. They are gray men. There are Trollocs battling defenders of the stone and Aiel all around. Rand challenges a Murdrail to a duel. Uh, he's rallying the defenders around him, shouting, the stone stands. He's barely able to fend off the fade for quite some time, but eventually he finds his opening and cuts off its head. It dies, and he starts kind of reciting the knowledge that he got from land. I'm sorry, land seeming like... Um, kind of an expert and also able to gather the soldiers and get them more or less following his instructions. He leads them throughout the tower. Um, I'm sorry, not the tower, the stone. And they are, you know, battling uh, Trollocs here and there. He's seeing individuals die. This also felt weirdly like a montage, even though it was a battle sequence. Um, he notes a few things. One, he sees Lan and Moraine battling a number, but they get caught up in numerous skirmishes, and so he is separated from them. Rand also sees, at one point, Heron battling um, and worries for him before becoming separated again. At one point, he is kind of uh, crushed beneath a Trolloc and about to be killed when another Trolloc attacks it, and he then sees Murdrail battling Murdrail and Trollocs battling Trollocs, and then suddenly Lanfear is there, chastising him for using a sword and uh, claiming that he should join her and learn so that he could actually deal with threats like this the way that he really should. Um, he asks if she sent the Trollocs and she kind of gives a non-answer saying if he told her she sent the Trollocs to save him then he would look for that help in the future and so she basically doesn't give any answer at all. He uh, then flees towards Kalindor fearing that one of the male Forsaken may have taken it. He arrives in his chambers, takes Kalindor, sees a fade and channels at it not knowing what he is doing he then beca begins killing trollocs and fades by the score um and eventually he starts hearing the word um he i mean sorry first he starts thinking it's about time it's almost time then he thinks the time is now and he hears the word now as another voice in his head and when he does he then calls lightning that destroys seemingly every trolloc and fade in the entirety of the stone um moraine then rushes over to him concerned um he still has not stopped channeling at this point he sees a child near him who has died he thinks that he can do anything and he tries to return this individual to life basically resuscitating them with power. Uh, Moraine is eventually able to convince him that it is impossible to bring someone back from the dead, and so Rand starts screaming but releases Sidene. Um, he asks if his friends are still alive and is told that they are. He then asks how the Trollocs got here, and Lan tells him about the grain barges that were full of Trollocs. At this point, Rand buckles, and Moraine immediately heals him, telling him that he needs to sleep. He tells her about Lanfear and learns that Lanfear loved Luz Theron and may want to win him again. At this point, he says that tomorrow he will give the information that Moraine has been looking for for so long about his plans, and then he thinks to himself that he will unleash a different kind of lightning, and it is lucky that he is not mad yet. 
Dear Lord was at a long summary, which probably means I only have two things starred in my notes. Uh, what do you think? Is this good <laughs> Robert Jordan action or Robert Jordan skipping the action, which is often the question for these chapters? Hmm, it's kind of somewhere in between, right? Because I think you're right. Uh, I was encouraged by the fact you said it was kind of montage because I felt like a lot of this kind of blurred together and jumped around and, and mm -hmm. so on. Um, so I enjoyed it, um, but it didn't necessarily, like this goes back to our opening comments, right? It wasn't like I, the thing I was craving was slicing through a bunch of unnamed Trollocs and yeah. then zippity zap. Like, I think I, I think we both like action scenes that develop character. Yeah. And while we do get this revelation that there is a greater power at work here, it's kind of like, eh, all right, um, what, well, what are the stakes here, right? Yeah. It doesn't feel like anybody's in legitimate danger yeah. from these enemies uh, when we have so many more powerful pieces on the board. Um, so, you know, I I noted that uh, kind of the, the main thing in my notes here is just thinking about Lan Fear and what she's offering again and, and kind of, as you said in your summary, her like ambiguous answer that yeah. doesn't really clarify what she's she's up to um so you know she's she's gonna continue to be i think a force in this book that i'm interested in in figuring out yeah and i think the richness of that makes the kind of let's just slaughter and slice and dice trollocs and murdrail eh, a little less a less exciting at this point yeah i completely agree um i think that this is one of those chapters where it takes 10 pages to do the things that I think it needs to do for a certain type of fantasy reader that just isn't me, right? I think there are people who probably love the, you know, action sequences and the sword fights. And if that's for you, I think this is a great chapter that does it really well by jumping between the exciting parts of the fight sequence instead of giving you the boring stuff in between. But if you're like you and I, this is, it, it kind of gives me two things, right? It gives me the land fear mystery, and then it gives me Rand thinking that he can do literally anything with the power and finding out kind of brutally that he cannot. Um, before we get to those two big moments, there is just one thing relatively early in the chapter that I wanted to note, um, which is that Rand is spends a decent amount of this chapter kind of leading soldiers. And it was just, I think, last week or maybe the week before that we got Elaine talking about how Rand was kind of naturally a leader in a way that very few people were. And we get to see that in this chapter. And I think the thing that really stood out to me is that it typifies what I have learned about everyone who is ever in a position of power. They seem like experts because they tell you they're experts and then they don't tell you all of the people who they're quoting when they pretend like they're experts, right? What Rand is doing here <laughs> is just saying exactly what Lan told him and not citing his sources and he seems like a king. Way to make this like my job, uh, Tyler. Uh, <laughs> at least he didn't uh, get the chat GPT to describe um, <laughs> Trollocs and Murdrail to him. Um, yeah, that that's pretty that that's well said and, and pretty fun and pretty funny. Um, you know, I, I, to trot out of one of our our hack phrases, it's like, well, and that's also a teenager, right? Like, yeah. what do we what do we do when we're teenagers? Except repeat the jokes or the the facts 
from other people and just pretend. Well, and I want to be very clear. This is also what adults do, right? Rand is showing very <laughs> clear, like, this is how learning works. You hear it, you put it into action, other people believe you. No shade on Rand whatsoever. But, like, <laughs> it, th this is the perfect example of someone who should have imposter syndrome just being like, nah, I got this. And it works out because that's what don't the people who don't have imposter syndrome do, too. <laughs> uh and and you know the other main note here and, and i'm gonna link it to this thought that i have is just that like i think the purpose of this is we've been away from rand for a while and he uh -huh. hasn't fought trollocs and fade for a while um to my hazy memory the last time he fought a fate. It was like run, uh, get yeah. away, run. And so I think more than anything, this chapter is supposed to show us like, in case you were wondering, yeah, he's powered up. Right. And yeah, um, I think we both play so many video games. We love that feeling. Or I, I won't speak for you. I love that feeling when there's a boss that just destroys you in the first kind of couple uh -huh. levels. And then by the end of the game, it's like, you're slicing through those like butter. Um, yeah. The, Jedi Survivor had a monster like that on the the main planet. Yeah. If if you fell in this hole, you ran into this kind of frog crocodile thing and it just like you had no chance. It was like one bite you were dead and then you come back there 3 quarters of the game later and you're like this thing like how like yep. not at all a problem. So um I think video game designers use that effectively actually modeling off of things like comic books and novels which yep. do this, right? Put the same character in the same situation but have a different outcome and we learn how the character has changed and um it it feels good. That's how I want it to be demonstrated. I don't want him in a room being like, "Man, I feel so powerful now. I could take on the whole world myself yeah and i think that this is really effectively done by robert jordan because he spends the first half of this chapter showing us just how far rand has come as a swordsman and then has lanfear pull out the rug from under him and go you you realize that that's the least effective way that you can use your powers right like it is very clear that rand as you said has very much leveled up but he is nowhere near where he could be or should be as the second half of this chapter then abruptly shows us, right? The fact that Rand is an excellent swordsman is a big move up in the class that he had been before. But boy, when you have destroy every Trolloc in the entire castle at once power, you shouldn't be using your sword that often. Mm. Uh, throwing in... And also as well, the classic Greek chorus move of having Lan and Moraine be shocked. And so yeah. we as an audience understand we're shocked, right? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, when I talk about that with my students, I always, well, I just make old references to that, but I talk about, you know, sitcoms, right? The whole point of the the live studio audience is they tell you at home that this is funny and you're, you're supposed yeah. to laugh. Or when Kramer slides in the door, you're supposed to get excited because the audience cheers because Kramer slid in the door. Yep. And just the fact that we have who we have understood to be two of the most powerful characters kind of a just aghast at what Rand yeah. has been able to do. I think that that is uh, really effective as well. Um, just to finish the video game analogy, I think the way you just described that is he got to the end of one skill tree, but we just opened up a whole new one. And that's really yep. exciting.
Yeah, my my wife is right now making her way through Diablo 4, and there's a moment in that game where you're like, oh, I reached the level cap, I'm done. And then an entire new section of the level up menu opens up that you just have (laughs) no idea of how it works. It's like, oh, the game has started now. And that's kind of how it feels for Rand, right? Like he's, he's reached the point where it's like, I did it. Now let's do the real stuff. And I think that's where Mm. I'm now starting to feel uh, there was actually a moment in our D&D game like three weeks ago or so when friend of the show and one time guest Ben uh, was like, this was a really good one because it was high fantasy. And I I like realistic fantasy, but sometimes I like to see that like high fantasy moment. This is maybe the first time that I go, ooh, the Wheel of Time is like a real high fantasy series, not one of Mm. those like sword and sorcery series, right? We have reached a point where the average guy with a pike is irrelevant in Randall Thor's world if he learns how to use Kalendor effectively. Uh, I have nothing to say to that. I don't read fantasy, so I don't know the difference uh, between (laughs) high and low fantasy. No, uh, I think it's a good point uh, that you're making in and again, we, we've talked about how um, Robert Jordan kind of wanted to move beyond the Lord of the Rings style thing. And, yeah. you know, um, I think magic is kind of minor in Lord of the Rings, even though a wizard yeah. is one of the main characters. So so this definitely feels like let's move farther into that in a way uh, into this world. And and that's exciting. And yeah. Um, all right. You're convincing me that I should be seeing this as as the the roller coaster is starting down the hill. You're, you're convincing me, even if that's not your intention. It's it's the little hill, right? It's one of those roller coasters that fakes yeah. you out with the first one. That's yeah, I think you've got it. <laughs> uh, the only other, I had a couple like very small moments here, but the only other like really big thing that we haven't touched on yet is Rand and the you know dead body that he tries to bring back, which I found to be more touching than I expected it to be right like Mm -hmm. I think I always remembered it as almost like horrific as like he's trying to do this thing that like he just shouldn't be and this time around I think I I read it more from Rand's perspective and what he's going through and it landed better than it had previous times I'd read it what was your thought on, on this part of the chapter um it, to me, it was the whole point was he's still human, right? And I guess that means I'm pretty much in line with you. Like it is icky, but it is very human thing to to lose someone and want want them back. I mean, um, I think I revealed this a week or two ago. I'm I'm reading the Iliad because that's what you do when you're a nerd, and there's a new translation of the Iliad out. Um, no, it's not. That's what I do. Sorry, it's a particular uh, so type very, of nerd. <laughs> uh so i've I've been really reading the Iliad, and one of the things that is just true when you read um the Iliad is like, oh my God, everything we could possibly say about humanity was said back here, right? Like yeah. all of our kind of current modern day anxieties, it's like they had them too. There's nothing new to being uh human. And uh that's I mean, just to speak to myself, that's why I loved studying the humanities is it's like, yeah, we're part of one big story and we have to to figure this out. Um, and so I, I did feel just because the Iliad is so much about life and loss and mourning and like um, the, the new translation has this beautiful line in the introduction. That's just like, this poem just lets you know that everything you love is going to die and you can rage and you can weep and nothing is going to change it. So that's the heartbreaking truth. And and yeah. I, I do feel like this tapped into that same emotion, not 
at that kind of extremity, but just to be like, you know, and to be human is to wonder like, you know, well, and, yeah. and it reminds me of Faramir from my other reading project uh, recently say, but, sorry, Faramir gets it in the movie. It's actually Sam in the the novel who says like, I wonder if this was really that bad a guy when they see the, the, the dead scout, um, the, yeah. you know, did he have evil in his heart or did he just get tricked to do that? And there's yeah. kind of that same little twist here of like, you know, uh, is it, is it going to be this, is this what war is? Is this all that war is going to be? And, and yeah. why, why should we pursue this? It's, it's eternal and that's good. All a compliment, even if I'm just rambling about other books I've read. Well, and I think that then the follow-up is what's what's so interesting to me. I think you're exactly right about what Robert Jordan is tapping into. And then the question is, what is Moraine then doing with the way that she responds to it, right? Because this is a big, raw show of emotion from Rand in a way that I don't know that we've you know gotten before. And she more or less uses it as a way to, one get information from him. She asks what's going on. He tells her about Lanfear. She does share information about Lanfear, which is not a thing that Moraine does all the time. But then she basically just starts prodding him again about when are you going to make the decision? And so I think there is something to be said about the fact that we've talked a lot about Moraine being a planner, but I don't know that Moraine is fully equipped to deal with a 17-year-old boy dealing with a prophecy that says he's going to die yeah well the first half of that sentence was like yeah i deal with 18 19 year old boys all the time and i'm not ready for it mm -hmm. <laughs> all the same but uh with uh you know the, the idea that the game master the person who's been in the most control of these events is now completely at the mercy of a potentially unstable teenager is yeah, that would be hard to deal with. And, you know, it's impossible at this point not to, for me at least, uh, not to picture Rosamund Pike in this yeah. uh, kind of role. And she just had such a, a juicy performance in Saltburn, which um, remains yeah. really, really popular on Prime uh, now. Um, and so I feel like seeing her cowed in this way is going to be really interesting. And yeah. to think of Moraine as, as kind of a cowed, uh, Rosamund Pike is is really um, fun and going to be an interesting twist on this uh, based on the dynamics we've seen on the show so far, if we have seen the show. I know that's not all of our audience hasn't necessarily tried the show. Yeah, and I think that this then leaves us in a really interesting place, which is that we are, this is a chapter that I think rounds the corner a little bit. And this is now the moment where I think we have, we know the least about what is coming next, right? A lot of the things that it felt like we were building towards get either blown up or altered a little bit by the events of these two chapters. So this feels like kind of a good time to check in as like maybe the end of the introduction, the beginning of like an act two, even if this might be like a five act structure instead of three, like what is your thoughts both on the book so far and where you think we're going from here? This feels kind of like the end of chapter place for discussion. Um, I mean, clearly the next thing to happen is the song One Day More from Les Mis and each faction of groups will will spring to with their own version of it. I mean, it really felt I I actually don't know my Les Mis that well. Is that I think that's the act break, right? It's it's it might uh, the middle yeah. of the 
the play. Um, and it has that kind of feeling. And I think that's why you're asking me this question, right? Cause it's yeah. like, yes, we finished the first act and now let's, let's see where this, this goes. So, um, enjoying it so far, but ready for things to be really moving. And, and that's become leaving tier. And I don't yeah. know if that's always the expectation for me. And now I'm just used to that structure, but it's like, okay, let's, let's start going. And, and, you know, obviously Robert Jordan's playing on that with, it's like, and I will tell you tomorrow what my plans are. And yeah. it's like, yeah, let's do it. And let's just, let's just go. Um, but as, as I think I said, I think my apprehension is I have enjoyed having these other characters together and mixing together. And, and I worry they're really going to break for a long time now. Um, but, uh, you know, I'm, anxious to read more, which I think, you know, is just a good sign, right? Yep. This has not become tiresome and I'm, I'm looking forward to see what they think to, uh, or how he thinks to, to divvy this up and, and move forward with the action. So, uh, yeah, if that's not a shut up, Tyler, I want to go read then, then what is, uh, but well, uh, we're luckily, not quite there yet. <laughs> luckily, if you want to go read just like Greg, boy, do we have a good bit of reading for you next week <laughs> um, in keeping with the poll that we had done in the first week of the podcast when we had an extra long chapter, um, we had a choice between either doing a 40 page week this week or doing a 16 page week next week and we chose 40. So next week, we will be covering three chapters. That is chapter 11, What Lies Hidden, chapter 12, Tanchico or the Tower, and chapter 13, Rumors, which will get us feeling pretty good about how far along we are in this book. The plot will start to advance, it feels like. If we turned the corner last time, we get to see a little bit of the light at the end of the tunnel next week. What are you looking forward to? Is there anything in those chapter titles that makes you super excited? And are you going to do another outro, or will you find a way to transition to me? <laughs> uh, the chapter in the middle there is the one that's most intriguing to me, Tanchico or the Tower, which we talk so much about Tanchico being one of two choices. The other choice wasn't the Tower. Yeah. And so I'm uh, interested to know how that becomes what the choice is. Uh, I also have only the roughest sense of the calendar, but I know we're closing in on some very important information, which we will just continue to tease as we learn eventually someday what it means to go through the glass columns. So ends another episode of Through the Glass Columns. We thank you for joining us and continuing with us on our quest to cover all of the Wheel of Time in our own sweet time. This podcast features original content developed by Tyler Orm and Greg Cass, and is not in any way affiliated with, associated with, or condoned by the Robert Jordan Estate, Tor Fantasy, or Amazon. All content is intended for entertainment and educational purposes only. If you're enjoying this podcast, please seek out the books from your local bookshop or library and join us as we continue our journey. If you'd like to contact us to share your thoughts or give feedback, you can email us at throughtheglasscolumns at gmail.com or find us on Instagram and Twitter by searching Through the Glass Columns. Thank you once again for being part of this community. If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe to the show, leave us a review wherever you're listening, and recommend this show on your social media to help us grow our community. We look forward to welcoming you back next time Through the Glass Columns.